0: Speaking of Howard, he gave me a lot of my material for today. So, all right. So we're going to continue through First Timothy. How many of you went ahead and read First Timothy chapter two? Okay. So y'all are ready. The rest of you are in for a surprise. So, all right. Okay. All right. So if you have your Bibles, you turn to First Timothy chapter two. We're going to read it again for those of you who didn't read it. says, Therefore, first of all, I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all people, for kings and all who are in authority, so we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and respectfulness. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. He desires all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, a human Messiah Yeshua, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald and an emissary, a teacher of the Gentiles in faithfulness and truth. So I desire all men to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without anger and argument. I'm going to stop there for a minute. All right, so from what we learned last week in first Timothy chapter 1 is that, you know, kind of first and second Timothy is about order within a uh, community of believers, right? Order in prayer, order in worship, what an elder is supposed to look like, what his functions are, what a community of believers is supposed to act like, uh, look like and function like. So perhaps it's fitting that we're getting to go over this this morning since we have a night of prayer and worship here next week. So Paul starts off the chapter by saying, first of all, first of all, that prayers be made on behalf of all people, especially for kings and all who are in authority. And he also mentions four different types of prayer. The first is requests. Or supplications. What is supplication? Supplication is simply asking God to do something. So when you say, God, please bless this gathering, that is a supplication. You are making a supplication to God. Uh, the second is prayers, which is and thats a pretty broad word, right? It pretty much covers all of our communication with God. The third he mentions is intercessions. And, you know, Gabe just mentioned a second ago, we have an intercessory prayer team here that meets every Wednesday. And that refers to the type of prayers that we make on behalf of other people. Now, there's nothing wrong with bringing your own petitions before the Lord. That's fine. But, you know, but pray on behalf of others, too. And finally, we have Thanksgiving. Pretty self-explanatory. So we all have a lot to be thankful in here, right? Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. So I'm sure most... If not all of these prayers will be going on right here uh, next week during the during the night of prayer and worship, which is good because we need to be uh, interceding in prayer for Israel, uh, for our president, as difficult as that may be yeah. for some of you, you know, for our families, for the elders of the congregation, and for their families, um, for lost family members and friends, and even even for our enemies. That's hard. It's not hard for you, Marvin, is it? No. (laughs) It goes on to say that we do this in order to live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and respectfulness. And in verse 3, that this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So I'm going to be very honest with you. Um, I have struggled... And still do sometimes with prayer and worship. Um, I think a lot of times people, um, usually men, struggle with prayer and worship because it involves two things. Emotions and communication. (laughs) And uh, I hear you ladies laughing. Anyway. Anyway. But those are two things that we aren't necessarily our our strong suit as men. Or so Julia tells me. But but nevertheless, like I just said, verse 8, Paul says, So I desire all men to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands in worship, without anger and argument. So he wants you to be lifting up holy hands in, in worship, not laying hands on your brother in anger. So James 5, chapter 16, verse 16, sorry. James chapter 5, verse 16 says that the prayers of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now we are told all throughout the Bible to pray without ceasing, right? Be constant in prayer. Be steadfast in prayer. And everything we do should involve prayer. And, you know, prayer is not just... Prayer and worship is not just for women and children. I think that's a common misconception, you know. Uh, I think the most powerful thing that women and children can see is a man who worships and prays. Amen? So, I mean, worships... It's not just a genre of music on the radio. and It's not just 94.3. You know, it's not just... It's more than just the five... You know, the songs that we just sang up here... You know, which were beautiful, but it's more than just that. It's, worship is continuous. It's something we do every day, whether we realize it or not. It's the thoughts we have. It's the decisions that we make. It's, the, it's even the money that we spend. It, you know, And it's the lives that we lead. It's all an act of worship. Is this making sense? Yeah, all right, good. Now, lifting up holy hands is metaphorical language. For having a clean and a pure heart, and what I really want to stress here, you know, is that prayer and worship is not a feminine thing. Manlier men than many of us, throughout Scripture, have been men of prayer and worship. Men like Daniel, you know, who was was a man that prayed diligently, even against the king's wishes. we also you know he always set time aside to pray. Another great man of prayer was David, King David. You know, he killed lions, bears, giants, led armies into combat, yet was a man of fervent prayer. And as many of us know, his, his prayers are many of his prayers are recorded in Scripture. So my point is, God wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from us. When men pray, things happen. And the Lord can and will move on our behalf. Amen? Y'all believe that? But don't be confused. Prayer does not turn God into your personal genie. We don't pray to position God where we want Him to be. Alright? We pray in order to position, or yet reposition, ourselves in order to receive what the Lord has for us. And scripture is filled with examples of how prayer works. So imagine what would happen if we as husbands and fathers began to pray over and with our wives and children. Now, many of you probably already do that. And that's great. Admittedly, this is something I could stand to do better on. So, and scripture tells us to love our wives as Messiah loves to the church And Messiah is constantly interceding on our behalf. So we should be constantly interceding in prayer for our wives and our families. Right, we're going to pick up here in verse 9, if you still have your Bibles open. Paul continues, Likewise, women are to adorn themselves in appropriate clothing with modesty and sound judgment. Not in seductive hairstyles, in gold or pearls or costly clothing, but what is suitable for women claiming godliness through good deeds. Let a woman receive training in a quiet demeanor with complete respect for order, but I do not allow a woman to train or dictate to a man, but to be in a quiet demeanor. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Also, Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, she fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be sustained through childbearing if they continue in faithfulness and love and holiness with sound judgment. All right. So Howard told me. I'm just kidding. kidding. All right. All right. So. All right. So notice how Paul begins with likewise, which seems to indicate that what he's about to say is a continuation from his previous exhortation to the men. It's like he's saying, I want women likewise to pray, etc., etc. Make sense? But then he goes into detail about a woman's clothing. Now, I'm pretty sure everyone in this room has some level of understanding and standard of modesty. Okay, So we're not going to go into that. But the heart of what Paul is saying is this. Dress in what is suitable for someone claiming godliness. So are you wearing a certain article of clothing in order to intentionally draw attention to yourself? You know, Especially in a setting of prayer and worship which is what this is about, you know. It's it's how a congregation should be run. And so you as women in this congregation are the most beautiful of God's creations. And we as men are easily distracted. I don't hear that. Okay. So <laughs> I believe this is what Paul is getting at here, you know. You shouldn't be coming here to impress anyone. You know, uh, it's not about you. It's about him, right? Now, of course, modesty in clothing isn't just a female issue. So, I mean, men, if you're wearing a medium shirt to accentuate your pecs or biceps to impress people, well, I'll just move on. then. <laughs> but Paul goes on to say, Let a woman receive training in a quiet demeanor with a complete respect to order. Here's that word, order. But I do not allow a woman to train or dictate to a man, but to be in a quiet demeanor. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. Also, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So for many of us living in the 21st century, this is a tough one. Now I've read a ton of articles and listened to a a ton of podcasts these last two weeks in preparation for today, just kind of gleaning information. And and for every ten articles I read, nine of them were trying their best to try and prove that Paul wasn't actually saying what he appears to be saying. No, Paul is not a misogynist. He's not a sexist. But what he is is really big on order. But God is also a God of order. Without order, we have what? Chaos. Chaos. Exactly. Paul mentions Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden. Eve was created for Adam, not the other way around. Eve was created to be a helpmeet or a helper to the man. She wasn't created to lead Adam, However, she wasn't created to be his slave either. Alright? So, in Genesis 3.16, it says, you know, as God pronounces judgment on Eve for her part of the transgression in Eden, God says, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, this verse causes some puzzlement. Because it would seem that a woman desiring her husband would be a good thing, you know, not a curse. But the Hebrew phrase in question does not include a verb and is literally translated as saying, towards your husband, your desire. Since this judgment is predictive, the future tense verb will be is added for clarity so that it now says your desire will be for your husband. So the most basic and straightforward understanding of this verse is that woman and man would now have an ongoing conflict as a result of the fall. In contrast to the ideal conditions in the Garden of Eden and the harmony between Adam and Eve, their relationship from that point on would include a power struggle. The New Living Translation actually puts it like this. It says, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. God is saying that Eve would desire to rule over her husband, but her husband would instead rule over her. Replacing the mutually interdependent relationship the Lord had created was a desire for one spouse to now lead the other. Sin had wrought discord between Adam and Eve. So it says both man and woman would now seek to have the upper hand in marriage as a result of the fall. The man who was to lovingly care for and nurture his wife would now seek to rule her or dominate her. And the wife would now desire to wrestle control from her husband. So now everything is out of whack, right? So do we or do we not see that today? Not everybody at once. Yes. So a question we need to ask ourselves this morning is and I'll start with the men first because you know when Adam came he he went looking for Adam first. Are you intentionally or unintentionally trying to subjugate and dominate your wife, or usurp the leadership of this congregation? And women, are you intentionally or even unintentionally trying to usurp your husband or the leadership of this congregation? So that's a question for both genders. I think that's something we should all think about. So, what does Adam have to do with Adam and Eve? Have to do with this anyway? You know, why were they even mentioned in this chapter at all? I'm glad you asked. Men and women, let's understand this: men and women are equal in the sight of God. Amen. We are both equally loved. We have equal value. And we equally share in the blessings and the inheritance promised in Scripture. We agree on that. But we have different roles and responsibilities. Especially as it pertains to the family unit and leadership within a congregation. We do need to note that Paul does allow the women to learn. It says that. We we just read it. In a a time period where many women were not allowed to. And it doesn't actually say that women cannot teach. It just says that he does not want to see women exercise a spiritual authority over a man because it goes against the order that God himself put in place. But it does say in Titus chapter 2, That women should be teachers of what is good. Teaching younger women to love their husbands. To love their children. To be self-controlled. Pure. Managing their households. Kind. Submitted to their husbands. So that God's word may not be dishonored. And that's Titus chapter 2. So men, this doesn't mean coming home and telling your wife to make you a sandwich. All right? If you do that, then I hope you have a comfortable couch. All right. Or a
1: good dog. Or a good dog. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: the best example of a biblical marriage found in Scripture is the relationship that God, the bridegroom, has with his bride. So I'm going to close with this. If you'll go to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse twenty one. Give y'all some time here. I've told Julia this before, but the work that she does in our home maintaining a household and teaching the, the girls school and all the errands she runs and groceries and her her job is way harder than mine. So all I do is just drive a semi my truck. Okay, it says, it says the following. Also, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Messiah. Wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Messiah is also head of his community, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the Messiah's as Messiah's community is submitted to Messiah, so also the wives to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Messiah also loved his community and gave himself up for her to make her holy, having cleansed her by immersion in the Word. Messiah did this so that he might present to himself his glorious community, not having stain or wrinkle or any such thing, but in order that she might be holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Messiah also does his community. Because we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am talking about the Messiah and his community. In any any case, let each of you love his own wife as himself, and let the wife respect her husband. I think that kind of sums everything up. Because, you know, God is our bridegroom and we are his bride. So in, in that terminology, we as men in this congregation, being the bride of Messiah, ours, are in submission to him as well. So at this time, do we have any, uh, any questions or comments? Yes, Miss Carol. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, men have to do their, do their part. And unfortunately, we live in a time where men have failed. Um, just look at uh, the numbers you can find on men who abandon their families. Men who don't lead their families. So, yeah. Men have to do their, do their part as well. Xavier. Jeremy, I just wanted to thank you for teaching on this
1: chapter and um, just not trying to Void, what it plainly says. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes great courage and I don't say this like But you should be committed for doing so. Um, also I think I like the way you explained it and showed that it is easy to understand. You don't have to have a PhD in ancient Near Eastern studies or ancient Greco-Roman studies, which is what mm-hmm. we are so often told right. that we are too stupid to interpret the text unless you have studied those areas and you know gone through so much schooling. So I just
0: wanted to yeah. Thank you. It's really fair and balanced message. I appreciate that. It means a lot. I thought I thought I saw one over here. Yes.
1: Yeah, you, again, you did a good job. Um, yes. the, the word "desire" in chapter in Genesis chapter three mm-hmm. is only used twice in the Torah, and the other verse is uh, Genesis four seven.
0: And what's that one pertaining to? He must rule over him. All right. Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of the same terminology there. Almost the same word, word, right mm-hmm. So explaining as a power struggle is, in my opinion, very correct. Yes. Yeah.
0: Thank you. There's one over here. Yes.
1: I just wanted to talk about a little bit about first Corinthians eleven where Paul is very consistent to the church at Corinth. He says very similarly to what you were teaching about mm-hmm. about the man's got his issue on behalf of us intercessorily to God mm-hmm. and man it's our role to be the head of the wife and right. you're free
0: of the household. Right he just reiterates that even to a completely different church. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to point that out after. I appreciate that. That's good. I mean, you know, God is I mean, you, you, you look through the the Tanakh and you you see the amount of care and detail and order and structure that he placed into the temple system. I mean, God, I mean, order Order matters, and uh, sometimes we as imperfect, fallen human beings um, don't really like order or authority as you look outside these walls and see how society is decaying because of a lack of respect for authority, even in the public sphere. So, um, Yes, Ms. Tanya? Um, I think you mentioned that uh, first person of a I was actually reading that last night.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And Brian brought this up this week, I think, was really good, is that the example that probably most of us have had has been one parent or the other in right. our upbringing has probably
0: been independent from the other, and haven't had that example of what it looks like right. to have two be one together. That's right. I, you know, um, Like I said, the, the, the best example I could find in the Bible of a perfect marriage, or close to it, was the relationship God has with us?
1: Ms. broken? Yeah, um, and kind of tagging off of what Ms. Carroll said, too, in 1 Peter 3, and he's marrying based on what Paul said. Mm-hmm. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives mm-hmm. when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Yeah. So, you know, it's the whole thing of, like, even if the man isn't doing what he was supposed to do, leading his family mm-hmm. and praying and, and all of that, that, you know, a believing wife can act in all godliness. Mm-hmm. And the man would say, oh, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is different right. from what she has. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, I mean, that just kind of going off of that.
0: That's good any more questions, any more hands? There.
1: you know, let me... Oh, up. I do, I do uh. have another one. Uh, sorry. You're good. Let me get back to there. Um, so I found it interesting in reading this at the very end, because you know in Genesis when uh, he was pronouncing judgment over Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. he says, I will increase your pains in childbirth mm-hmm. to Eve. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on the last verse, um, the last verse is like starting with 13. For Adam was formed first and Eve, and Adam was, was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgression. Mm-hmm. Yet she will be saved from childbearing if they continue to faith and love and holiness to self-control. do mm-hmm. so you think that's kind of maybe like a reversal of that?
0: It's a good question, and uh, I'm going to pull up Gabe Rutledge here and say I don't know. Right. <laughs> Gabe, you don't know. Uh, do you know? Okay. You know it's, it's about here, so yeah, okay, maybe we can good ornate discussion there. Maybe, yeah. All right. So, I just saw this bread sitting here for the last couple of minutes. Had my eye on it. All right, we'll do the blessing over the fruit of the vine. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. All right, now the blessing over the bread. Adonai, Ha Ha Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Amen. All right, now if you just want to gather with your families,
1: What was Is that, Jerry?